Now, earlier on in the week, you probably heard Will Smith won the Oscar for Best uh, Actor for his portrayal of the father of Venus and Serena Williams, the tennis players in the film King Richard. And in his acceptance speech, Will Smith spoke of being a vessel of love, an ambassador of love and care and concern. Um, he wanted to uh, be a river of love um, to many people. And you heard this, and it just sounded great. And I thought, yes, it's just what we want from our celebrities and famous people to, to be these sort of embodiments of love. The problem was that only moments earlier, he had physically assaulted uh, the host of the Oscars, Chris Rock, after Chris Rock insulted his wife. You know, slapping him, you've probably seen it, right? Slapping him around the face um, aggressively and then F-bombing from his chair in front of the 20 million plus viewers who are watching it all online. And, like, and the, the, the disconnect, if you actually watched it live, the disconnect between what he was now saying is what had just happened before. You know, I want to be a vessel of love and I'm ambassador. You've just like lost it in a fit of rage, Will. And you've probably been reading the articles this week that say, like, you know, what's this going to mean for his future career? These lofty, high ideals we often have for ourselves, for our leaders, the people we look up to, and then the juxtaposition, it can often come right, right next to each other of the harsh realities of human weakness and human failure and human sin, and it can just leave us feeling disillusioned about ourselves when we fall short of it, disillusioned in our leaders when they fall short of it. And so the question, we, you know, sometimes we can be crying, is there anyone out there who we can really trust? Anyone, our, our leader, who can we really trust today? And as we come to the end of 2 Samuel, that's very much where we're left. Now, did you notice in verse 1, King David, we're reminded here, he was exalted by the Most High, page 330, chapter 23 of 2 Samuel. Here is a man who was anointed by the God of Jacob. Here is a man described as the hero of Israel's song. Here is a man who is after the Lord's heart, as he's described in the New Testament. If there's any human leader who we could trust, it would be him, great King David, who defeated Goliath as he trusted in the Lord's power, who brought peace and prosperity to his people, who obeyed the word of the Lord, who ruled with righteousness for so many years, and people saying, what a man, what a leader, what a king. And then we're hit with the harsh reality of Bathsheba, the harsh reality of Uriah, the harsh reality of the calamity that came upon his household, and the harsh reality of human sin that swallows up and takes hold of even David. Who can we really trust today? Is there anyone out there who will not let us down? And that's what verses 2 to 7 are all about. We're going to see three things. The coming of God's ideal king, the blessing of God's ideal king, the justice of God's ideal king. There really is someone we can trust. So let's meet him. Come with me now to the verses. We'll start with the first point, the coming of God's ideal king. Let me read from verse two. The spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, and now literally in the Hebrew, ruler over humankind righteous. A ruler who fears God. In other words, here is God making a promise, this is God speaking divine utterance through David, that an ideal king really is coming. 
a ruler who will never let you down, a ruler you can really trust, a ruler who is certainly coming because this is God speaking. He is a rock and he is dependable and he is trustworthy. An ideal king is coming. Notice that David is no longer talking about himself. In chapter 22, David is looking back, praising God for all the victories that he gave David, all the wonderful things he did through David. David speaks in chapter 22 a lot about I. I did this, I did that, I pursued my enemies, I crushed them completely, I beat them. I... Now in chapter 23, David is no longer looking behind, looking back at what God, he is looking forward. David is now prophesying about the future about a better, greater, ideal king. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. This is what God is doing. God will bring one day this perfect, ideal king. Even when David does speak about himself in verse 5, he speaks about his own salvation because David needs saving too. David is not the ruler we need. We need someone who is perfectly righteous, perfectly fears God, a ruler we can really trust. And look, 970 years later, as we go through the Bible story, that ruler would come. How does the New Testament begin? The very words of Matthew's Gospel, very first words. This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus Christ, he is the one to whom all the Old Testament promises and prophecies like this one find their fulfillment. In him, the Christ, the King, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the one who all these pictures and types pointed forward to. He is the perfectly righteous one. He has come. He is here. The beginning of Mark's gospel. What are Jesus' first words? The time has come. The kingdom of God has, has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The king we've been looking forward to, the king we need. He is here. He is broken into space, time, and history. This is good news for everyone. Believe in him. The start of Luke's gospel. The angel saying of Jesus in chapter 1, verse 23, he will be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And his kingdom will never end. Here is a king who will never fail you. Here is a king who will never let you down. Here is a king where even death cannot hold him. His reign is supreme and perfect and lasts forever. This is who Jesus Christ really is. And as you read through the gospel accounts of Jesus Christ... Well, look, never once does Jesus lose it in a fit of rage. Yes, he turns over the tables in the temple, showing his zeal for his father's house. He never physically assaults someone. Far from it. Quite the contrary. Jesus is a vessel of love. Jesus is the perfect ambassador of love. He's a river. His whole life infused love. He conquered the sin, the enemies of sin, death, and the devil through love. As he gave up his life upon the cross. Jesus Christ will never cheat on you, never betray you, like David did with Bathsheba and Uriah. Every word that comes from Jesus' mouth is good and true and full of life. You really can trust him with everything. Albert Einstein, who distanced himself from belief in a personal God, even he said this about Jesus. As a child, I received instruction both in the Bible and in the Talmud. I am a Jew 
but I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. No one can read the Gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every word. No myth is filled with such life. And here's the thing. He is no myth. He is real. And he is alive. And he is the one who fulfills the cry in every human heart for a leader we can trust. The perfect ruler, perfect in every way, full of perfect righteousness, who gives his righteousness to those who trust in him, who perfectly fears the Lord. A perfect ruler who can perfectly rule your life too. The one person you can really trust. So any disillusionment we feel over the harsh realities of our own human weakness, failure, sin... Jesus forgives us. Jesus transforms us. Through faith in him, we can increasingly become the people God wants us to be. The disillusionment we feel over another fallen human leader, King David, Will Smith, someone we perhaps have trusted and looked up to over many years, but has let us down too. Jesus Christ will never let us down. His word we can trust, his love is unquenchable, his reign is supreme, and his kingdom will never end. Perhaps you've been let down by so many people, so many times, over so many years, you are not sure you can ever trust anyone again. You just do not want to take that risk. Jesus really is this vessel of love. A vessel of love that took his own life to the cross for you and to die for your sin. Such is his absolute commitment to you. You can trust him. Come to him, return to him, all of us. Let's take refuge in his perfect rule. Well, if that is the coming of God's ideal king, secondly in verses three to five, we see the blessing of God's ideal king. Look down with me at verse three. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, when, rule, when one rules over people in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he is like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after rain that brings grass from the earth. I mean, what do you make of that? Does that not warm your heart, that image, that metaphor? That's a beautiful description. That is a description of life under Jesus' rule. We've been having some weird weather lately. Have you noticed how there's been sun sort of in the morning and then snow in the afternoon or vice versa? It's just so bizarre, isn't it? But like, at least when it's the nice bit and it's like blue sky. We had it today, these like wonderful blue sky and cloudless mornings and you know, maybe perhaps you're walking into work, walking into church, dropping the kids off at school and you feel the warmth of the sun upon your face and it's something life-giving. Um, puts a smile on your face, refreshing. That is the picture here of what life with Jesus is like. Life under Jesus' rule. I was reading an article just this week, actually, at the benefits of uh, getting lots of natural light and how it's good for your well-being. 
It helps our bodies produce vitamin D, it wards off seasonal depression, it aids our sleep, it helps us focus, enables us to get more done, even makes us happier. That is nothing compared to what Jesus does for your well-being. To live and work for Jesus' praise and glory, to live under the lordship of his loving, righteous reign, it brings a joy, a vitality, a renewal, a blessing. You just cannot put it into it. You need imagery like this to describe it. The light of morning at sunrise, the brightness that brings grass from the earth. Is that your Jesus? Is that how you view him, picture him? If you're a Christian, that is your Lord. That is your Savior. That is the one ruling your life. And what a contrast it is to David's rule, which was such a mix of good and bad, as Chris showed us in the kids' talk. Such a contrast to many other leaders around us today. You probably saw in your news feeds this week the long lines of empty store shelves in Moscow as life under Putin's rule comes to full effect. People are scared to speak out. People fear being isolated from the rest of the world. People are being brainwashed about Ukraine. Very dark times under this man's rule. Front page of the Yen newspaper at the back of the church this month describes life under Tony Rules, Tony Jones's rule at Christchurch, Durham. Alleged abuses of power, alleged coercion, one individual being described as being pressured into remortgaging their home so they could give more financially to the ministry of the church. And look, and if the allegations are true, then here is a fear, coercion, pressure, financial abuse, under one leader's rule. Bosses who make you feel guilty for calling in sick or not doing a good enough job. Parents who make you feel stupid for not getting a good enough grade. Political leaders who flip-flopping have us throwing up our hands in despair. Life under these sort of leaders can be joyless, burdensome, guilt-inducing, disillusioning. You wither, not thrive. And I want us to see how different Jesus' leadership is. He is the source of all wisdom. He is the wellspring of all life. He is the means of forgiveness. He is the path to righteousness. You can't help but thrive under him. When you are listening to him, talking to him, communing with him, living to his praise and glory, that's the brightness of the sun, the renewal. Do you have that? Do you live that? Do you know that? Let's give up our own vain attempts to rule our own lives. Let's give it up and all the stress that comes with it. Let's give the rule of our lives to Jesus, our maker, our savior, the one who knows best for us, our perfect ruler. Let's stop putting our trust in human leaders to be the saviors they can never be. There's only one savior. His name is Jesus Christ. Let's put our trust in him. Just to be clear, that doesn't mean that we should ignore all human leadership as Christians, far from it. God places leaders in government, in the church, in the family, for our good. But what we need to look for these leaders, look for in them, particularly Christian leaders, is a a Christ-likeness. A Christ-likeness that is committed to this personal righteousness. And as a sinful human weak leader who says sorry 
and repent and seek Jesus' forgiveness. Leaders who lead in a godly fear of God. It's probably a good time for me to remind you that our APCM, our annual parochial church meeting, is coming up on Wednesday the 27th of April. This is when we re-elect wardens, um, members of the leadership team, back on for another year. I'm going to put a slide up on the screen now, if you could do that. I want you to know who they are. I want you to to see them, make sure you know them. Um, We'll send it on the weekly update uh, tomorrow as well if you don't know them, so you can get to know them, so you can ask questions of them, so you can say to yourselves, hey, do they have a godly fear of God? Are they committed to personal righteousness in their own life? And if you don't think so, let us know before the APCM. We want to be accountable. We want to be transparent. Help us with that. And if you have any questions about anything to do with leadership, speak to me, speak to the wardens afterwards and before the upcoming APCM. You know, we, wanna, we don't want to be a church where people feel coerced in any way, pressured in any way, guilt-induced in any way. I'm sure we've got that wrong at times, but that is not what we want. We want to be a church where people can't help but thrive because of the Christ-likeness of the leadership, because of the Christ-likeness of the culture. And people come in and they just sense Christ's love and truth like permeating through it. We don't want to be a church where people are joyless, disillusioned, end up withering. We want people to come here and get a taste and experience of the brightness of the sun that brings life. Life to them, life to each other, because the church is so full of Jesus. That is what we want. Will you pray for that? Will you help us with that? Will you take your role and play your part in that? We've got a culture review coming out next term. We want to hear from you. We want to be a church like this, full of Jesus, full of his righteousness, full of a godly fear of God, bringing life, vitality, joy, spiritual renewal to ourselves and to each other and to this community as we go out and live for Jesus in our works and in our daily lives. So if that is the second thing to see from these verses, the blessing of God's ideal king, thirdly, the justice of God's ideal king. Because in verses six to seven, these last couple of verses, we read the following of David's last words here. But evil men are all to be cast aside like thorns, so evil men and women, which are not gathered with the hand, whoever touching thorns uses a tool of iron or the shaft of a spear. They are burned up where they lie. I suppose the question that could be asked at this point is like, look, if Jesus' rule is so great and if he's like so perfectly righteous and lives in such godly fear of, of, of his father and he's alive today, then why is there so much like evil going on in the world and it just seems to be no different than it was before he came? We've already spoken today of like the horrors going on under Putin, the horrors in certain church le- under certain church leadership. Well, what's Jesus say about that? Why is he letting that happen? Why is he not doing anything about it? How can we trust that Jesus really is this perfect ruler that we're being talked about here? When we read prophecies like this in the Old Testament, salvation and judgment come at the same time. Did you notice that? Salvation in verse 5, the everlasting covenant that God gives to David. And then we get the judgment in verse 6, these evil people being burned up where they lie. 
And so you read the Old Testament and the Old Testament prophecies, you think judgment and salvation, they, they come together. Salvation and judgment. But then we get to the New Testament and we realize that actually we shouldn't be looking at it like this. We should be looking at it like that. Let me turn it around for you. And so salvation comes with Jesus' first coming and judgment comes at his second coming. Why does Jesus not deal with all the evil and injustice we see in all the world around us? Because he'd have to deal with all the evil and injustice in our own hearts. We have to bring this whole world to an end. And he doesn't want to do that, not yet. His first coming, he came in salvation. He came to die for us. He came so that we could be forgiven for all the times we reject Jesus' rule, for all the time we fail as leaders, for all the time we fall short of our own lofty ideals, so we can be forgiven by God, so we can have his spirit to renew us, so we could be the people. We... Judgment is coming, don't forget that. A justice day is coming for all those who reject Jesus' rule, for all people who try to live there and rule their lives by themselves. It is coming. But God is a gracious God, compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, longing for all people to turn to him, seek his forgiveness, live under his rule, know the brightness of the morning sun in their hearts and lives and to do so before it is too late. That is why it hasn't come yet, but it certainly is coming. The horrors we've been seeing over the last 10 chapters of 2 Samuel, justice is coming. The horrors we see in the world around us today, justice is coming. The horrors you might be experiencing right now, the justice of God's ideal king is coming. That doesn't mean we don't pray for justice now, work for justice now, use the means of justice God has given us through earthly authorities now. But it does mean that as we do so, we can do so graciously and compassionately and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, just like the Lord Jesus himself. Don't know if you had a chance yet to watch my wife Jo's interview of Rachel Denhollander at Pillar and Step that we sent out on the weekly update. You know, Rachel Denhollander, the first woman to publicly uh, accuse Larry Nasser of sexual assault. One of the things that really struck me about um, her interview was, well, not just how clear and articulate Rachel is in the way she speaks, but just how gracious and compassionate she also is in her tone of voice and the way that she comes across. Um, there was no bitterness. There was no impatience. There was no, well, Larry Nasser better burn in hell. With all that she'd been through, with all she continues to go through, there was such poise. There was such patience. There was such an inner calm, a gentleness. And even though like her whole career is, a, is about seeking justice for people, just seeing that inner righteousness flowing out of it, you could just see the Lord Jesus just radiate out, and it was just so attractive. And then we think, wow, yeah. I want to be like that too. Don't you? So if you are suffering right now from those who have let you down, failed you, abused their God-given authority over you, please take all the comfort that you need from the fact that God's justice is coming. And all sin that is not paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross because people trust in him, it will be paid for by those who have committed the sin themselves. It is coming. But as we cry out to God for that justice and long for that justice now, let's do so not impatiently, not bitterly, 
not taking matters into our own hands, but do so in a life-giving, righteous, radiating way. As we live under this righteous, loving rule of Jesus, our King himself. So Jesus come in salvation. He is alive. He's ruling perfectly today. And he will come again in judgment. So let's trust him until he does. Let me pray that for us now. Let's pray. Father God, we thank and praise you for all that you have been teaching us and showing us through the book of 2 Samuel. We thank and praise you that you have sent Jesus Christ into the world 2,000 years ago as your ideal, perfect, righteous king. We thank and praise you that when he came, he brought salvation for all the times we fail to live under your rule, turn from your rule, think we can do better ourselves. Thank you for forgiveness in him. Thank you for the power of your spirit to transform us, renew us, change us to be the people you call us to be. And thank you that you are coming back one day in judgment. Justice is coming. This world will be put right. It will be renewed perfectly. And in the meantime, therefore, let us trust in you. Let us increasingly show that grace, that compassion, that slowness to anger, that abounding and steadfast love that you call us to do. Work in us. Help us to be that, not just individually, but as a church that many more people may know the blessing of your rule in their lives. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.